Joshua. Joshua chapter 3 tonight. I did not put all the verses up on the screen. I just put the text up there tonight because really my text comes out of the whole chapter and I didn't want to uh, take up the space to put the whole chapter up there and we'll kind of just skip our way down through some verses in this chapter tonight as we talk about faith and talk about some things that that will help us and as we put there on the front of your handouts tonight three levels of faith that I think can be a help to us Joshua chapter 3 if you look with me starting in verse number 1 the Bible says Joshua rose early in the morning they removed from the place where they were they came to Jordan he and all the children of Israel and they lodged there before they passed over now keep in mind they're they're getting ready to cross the river Jordan into the promised land and they are getting to the place now where they're ready to do that. In verse 2, it says, After three days, the offers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. And he said in verse 4, There shall be a space between them, about 2,000 cubits by measure. And he told them not to go near unto it, so they would know the right way to go. Verse 5, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua spake unto the priest, told them to take up the ark and pass over before the people, and they did what Joshua told them to do. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And he said, verse 10, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites. And he goes on and names several groups of people that are going to be found in the promised land. And he says, God is going to help you drive those people out. Verse 11, he said, The ark of the covenant of the Lord is going to pass over before you into Jordan. And verse 12, he commands them to take 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. Verse 13, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. He said as soon as the priests, as soon as their feet touch that water, he said the water, is, what's coming down from above is going to stop and stand on a heap. And he said the other water is going to go, and basically there's going to be dry ground for you to walk across. Verse 15, as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priest were dipped in the brim of the water. An interesting little side note, it says that Jordan overfloweth all its banks in the time of harvest. So God used a tremendous obstacle here to show his power. Not only was it the Jordan River, but the Jordan River was high, and, and it was a time of harvest, so it was overflowing its banks. And God chose that time to take them across. Verse 16 says the, the waters uh, stood still, just like the Bible says they would. And then the Bible says, verse 17, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. I know that uh, using the Jordan River as an illustration of us crossing into heaven makes for good singing, and we have a lot of references to that in our music, but that's not the main, the main thrust and the main type of the Jordan River in the Word of God. Because uh, Canaan can, cannot be a type of heaven, I don't think. Because over in Canaan, they faced some enemies. Over in Canaan, they, they fought some battles. 
over in Canaan, they withstood some things that, Lord willing, we won't be withstanding in heaven. Amen? But uh, tonight I want to use it, and I, I believe this is something that we can take and apply to our lives as we look at, at trying to have the faith that God wants us to have. And if we will tonight, if you will allow me to picture the Jordan River as a type of our problems, the obstacle that keeps us from getting over into Canaan, which Canaan in the Bible is a type of the victorious Christian life. And so as we are on our way to obtaining victory and on our way to experiencing what God has for us in our lives, we face some obstacles, much like the children of Israel faced the Jordan River as they went through it and as they went over it in this story. And so I've entitled the message tonight, The Ruler of the Raging Rivers. The title came from a verse in Psalms that says that God rules the raging of the sea. And I thought, well, if He can take care of the sea, then He can take care of the rivers too. And so I entitled the ruler of the raging rivers. And as we talk tonight about having the faith that God wants us to have, we're going to look at three levels or three types, if you will, of faith and see how they can help us have the faith God wants us to have. As we look at the Word of God, we see that the Word of God stresses the importance of faith in many different verses. If you will look with me, I wrote these, I put these on the screen tonight. Luke chapter 18, verse number 8 says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Romans 1.17 says, The just shall live by faith. Galatians 5.22 lists faith as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. 1 John 5, 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith, according to the Word of God, is very important in our lives. But how can we have the faith that God wants us to have? I believe as we look at this story, we will see some answers to that question. If we were to ask tonight, just what is faith? The Bible defines faith in the book of Hebrews, and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Believing in something that you have not seen yet. Believing in something that you have no reason to believe in other than just you believe in it. And that's the way we are as Christians. We believe in things that we've never seen. We believe in heaven tonight. And we've never seen heaven. They said that I was, I've spent quite a bit of time with the Warnicks this week and uh, have been over there. And Monday night she raised up in the bed. Just as you, if Those of you who have seen Miss Juanita in the last several years, she's really become frail and weak. And even more so now as she's getting close to crossing over into the, into the Canaan land that we talk about in our songs and when we use it as a type of heaven. So they said the other night that her shoulders came off the bed. Just She's still as weak as she can be, but her shoulders came off the bed. Her eyes were looking somewhere beyond what they could see. And they said, where are you going? And she said, I'm going home. She hadn't quite got there yet, but she's on her way. I tell you what, that makes me just believe in heaven a little bit more. Amen. I'm glad when, whenever God lets us catch little glimpses into that promised land. And as we see the Word of God, we see the evidence. It defines faith as the evidence of things not seen. Faith, as one author described it, is what sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. It is defined in Webster's Dictionary as unquestioning belief or complete trust or reliance. And that is what we are. We are completely trusting and relying on God. And with, with, a, with a God that is as mighty as the one that we have. We sing the song, what a mighty God we serve. Do we really believe that sometimes? I wonder 
Sometimes if we don't just go through, uh, especially in our singing, we go through and we just sing the words and we don't really, don't really think about those words sometimes. But uh, we sing that song, What a Mighty God We Serve, and then sometimes we don't act like, we don't live like we believe that. We live worrying about things, and God is all the time wanting to take care of them. And we say, what a mighty God we serve, and then we go try to take care of our problems ourselves. We need to give them over to God and let Him take care of them. We should learn to trust Him to take us through our problems. It was a good answer that was once given by a poor woman in the church to a minister who asked her, what is faith? She replied, I'm ignorant and I cannot answer well, but I think it is taking God at His word. I think that's a good definition of faith. So as we look at the importance of faith, not only in the Word of God, but we see the importance of faith in our own lives. And faith in God, trusting God, as we sang just a few minutes ago, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's look tonight at three levels of faith, and we're going to look at those things and, and talk about how we, when we have the, these three levels of faith, how we look at our problems, and then talk about some things that will help us as we go through this. So the first level of faith that I think we see is little faith. Little faith. And if I, could, if I could define this tonight, I would say that Christians who have little faith are Christians who when they come to the rivers, the problems of their lives, they look for shallow places to get across. Christians who look for shallow places. So as we look at little faith, we, we think about Christians who look for shallow places. And as, you know, I'm, when we talk about this, I'm talking about looking for a place that you can get across on your own. Have you ever, God put a problem in your life and you spend your time, and when I'm guilty of doing this myself, you start looking for a way that you can get through your problem. Instead of taking it to God in prayer, instead of just letting God handle it, you start looking for a way to do it. And I start looking for a way to make it across in my own strength and in my own power, a shallow place that I can get across by myself without having to rely on God. And so little faith, Christians who look for shallow places, and if we look at that a little bit carefully, a little more carefully, we see that some never make it to the victory side of the river because some rivers are too deep to cross. You come to, there are some places in, in, in rivers that you might be able to walk across if it's not too wide, not too deep, but there are some you can't get across. So it is with our problems. There are some problems you might make it across in your own strength, but there are some problems you and I will come up against that we're going to have to rely on the strength and the power of an almighty God. And it goes easier when we rely on God. We might make it in the strength that He's given to us, but when we rely on Him, it makes it so much easier. So as we look at our problems, we don't need to look at, at them from the viewpoint of little faith and look for shallow places to get across. There are some disadvantages to having little faith. There are some opportunities that are missed whenever we as Christians have little faith, and when we come to our problems, we look for a way for us to get across on our own strength and in our own power. There are some disadvantages, some opportunities we miss. First of all, we miss the opportunity of a crossing. You see, the Bible says in verse 17 that everybody got over this river. If you are looking for a shallow place, and if I'm looking for a shallow place in my Christian life, when I get to a problem, there are some problems that I'm never going to experience victory over. Some problems I'm never going to get across. Some rivers I'm never going to get across. Some problems I'm never going to understand what it's like to live on the victory side of if I spend my life looking for a shallow place. Not only do we miss the opportunity of a crossing, but we miss the opportunity, secondly, of a conquering. You see, they went on into the promised land. The first city they came up against is mighty Jericho. 
Jericho, a, a city with walls so thick it is, it is said that they used to race chariots on top of the walls, sometimes four abreast. Walls that in no way the children of Israel could get to. Jericho, the gates were shut. The walls were thick. The walls were high. They were not going to get through Jericho, but that was the first obstacle God put in their pathway when they got over into Canaan. And you know the story, how God told them to march around the city one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day to march around it seven times. When they got finished with the seventh time, the Bible says that God told them to shout. And all of a sudden, they started shouting and hollering and carrying on. And God said, I like that so much, i tell you what I'm going to do. Boom, and he just knocks the walls down. But they would have never experienced Jericho if they stayed over on the other side of Jordan. And there are some victories awaiting us if we will learn how not to look at our problems from the viewpoint of little faith, but to move on up in the levels of faith to the point where we trust God to take us through our problems. They would have never experienced Jericho they would have never experienced the victory of Canaan if they wouldn't have got through Jordan the way God wanted them to get through Jordan. So they'd have missed the opportunity of a conquering. Some victories you'll never win if you're looking for shallow places. But then we see the third thing. We may miss the opportunity of a crossing, a conquering, but what about a completing? You see, the Bible says in Joshua eleven twenty three that they took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel. They completed the task. They experienced total victory. Some task in my life and in your life will never reach completion if we only look for shallow places in our problems. I know I'm not the only one guilty of doing this. We're all guilty of it sometimes. God allows problems into our lives. And what do we do? We come, to, we come to that place in our life and God has allowed a problem to be in our pathway. And we start, instead of just automatically doing what we know is the best thing to do, and that is turn to God, we start looking for a place to get through our problem. I wonder if I, wonder if I step out here, if this footing's good enough. Well, that doesn't look good. Maybe I'll go over here. And we start looking for a place that we can get across in our own strength, in our own power. And you know what that shows? That shows our faith is little. Spurgeon one time was told a story about how he was riding home after a particularly long and weary week. And just, I mean, it seemed that, that the cares and everything that was going on overwhelmed him. And it seemed as if God spoke to him with that verse that said, My grace is sufficient for thee. And he said, he, he just started laughing out loud. And he said, I should think it is, Lord. He said, I guess that would be like a fish swimming in the ocean and being afraid that it was going to drink all the water in the ocean. And the ocean saying, drink away, old fish. My waters are sufficient for thee. He said, it'll be like a mouse in the granaries of Egypt back in Joseph's day after the seven years of plenty and that mouse in those granaries worrying about eating all the grain and Joseph saying, Eat away, O mouse, my granaries are sufficient for thee. He said, I thought of a man up on the mountain yonder, worried lest he exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. 
and the atmosphere saying, breathe away, O man. My atmosphere is sufficient for thee. My oxygen is sufficient. And you say, that sounds kind of stupid. That's about how we are sometimes. We worry about how we're going to make it, and God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Take the grace. God gives us new grace, and God gives us more grace, and more grace, and more grace. And you say, I'm afraid I'm going to exhaust it. And God says, hey, use away. My grace is sufficient for thee. Little faith. The Christians who look for shallow places when they come to problems in their lives. It has been said that little faith will bring our souls to heaven, but it's great faith that will bring heaven to our souls. Sometimes we pray for God's help, and all the while we look for a way for us to make it on our own. You ever done that? You ever been praying, God, I need your help on this thing. Now, I wonder if I could do it this way. Do you all ever do that, or is it just me? Anybody, can I have a witness in here tonight? All right, we've got a few. Some, some in here are super spiritual. They don't have these kind of problems. I'm not counting in that number. Amen. We pray for God's help. We get through praying and we start looking for a way out or a way over or a way through. And God says, my grace is sufficient if you will let me operate and do what I want to do. Let's not be ankle wetting Christians trying to just find a shallow place that we won't drown in. Let's be the kind of Christians that will move to the levels of faith that God wants us to have. But as we look at this, and, and, and of course these things, I don't know, there may have been some people there with the children of Israel who had little faith. But there also may have been somebody who had what I'm calling tonight limited faith. Limited faith. And as we think about limited faith, it's kind of a step up from little faith. And whereas the Christians with little faith look for shallow places, I, I propose to you tonight that Christians who with limited faith, they look for swimming places. And even though it, it may be too deep for them to walk across, they're they still looking for a way to get across on their own. They may make it across, but it takes them a little while. They still are depending on their own power and ability. They have their eyes on the river and the other side. They're swimming across through their problems, trying to make it. We're looking at the other side, trying to reach over there, rather than keeping their eyes on the Lord where they need to be. Limited faith. It's, it's a step above little faith, but it's still not the best thing that we can have. Because with limited faith, we're still depending on our strength. We're still depending on our ability. We're not looking for a place to walk across. We've graduated from that, but we're, look, we're still looking for a place that maybe I can swim across there. Maybe I can still make it across this in my own strength. Maybe I can still do this in my power. Maybe I can still conquer this problem doing it my way. And all the time, God is saying, my grace is sufficient if you will let me do what I want to do. We're pitiful sometimes. We, we try to do things our way, and God finally gets our attention, and he shows us how we can have victory. And then what do we do? The next problem we come up against, we do the same exact thing. God, I want your help. But I'm, I'm going to jump in and see if I can swim this thing. That's not what God's after. We'll see God's faith in just a moment. The level of faith that he wants us to be at. Thinking about this limited faith. Limited faith causes us to do some things. It causes us to dwell on things. First of all, it causes us to dwell on the problems. Because if you're standing at a riverbank and you're thinking about swimming across, 
you're going to start thinking about how big that river is and how wide it is and whether or not you've got the strength to make it and whether or not you're going to last. And so it is with our problems when we face them with limited faith. We stand there and we look at the problem. I wonder how long it's going to take me to conquer this thing. I wonder how long it's going to take me to experience victory. I wonder how long it's going to be before I see the victory side of the river. And we're still depending on our strength and we start dwelling on the problems instead of dwelling on the one who can take us through our problems every single time. But we start looking at those problems and we start dwelling on them, wondering if I got the strength to do it. Am I, am I got, do I have the endurance to make it? Can I persevere long enough? Dwell on the problems. But as I quoted a minute ago, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's not time to dwell on the problems. It's time to dwell on the Lord and let him take us through our problems. But not only does limited faith cause us to look at the problems, it causes us to look at the possibilities. I can just imagine now, me being, I'm a very logical, analytical type person, uh, I like numbers and facts, and, and I like it on paper and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm, I'm just that way. I'm a very, very logical, analytical type person. And I can just imagine me being at this river with limited faith, with the children of Israel. I'd have been sitting over there trying to figure out what it would take for us to get across. And I'd be trying to figure out the ratios, and I'd be trying to figure out the logical way to do it, and how long it'd take us to build a boat, and how long it might take us to build a bridge, and all this kind of stuff. And I'd be looking at it that way. And sometimes we as Christians look at our problems that way. We start looking at that problem, man, and when we start looking at the possibilities, I wonder if it's possible for me to do it this way. I wonder if it's possible for me to go this way and make it. And we're still depending on our power. And God is saying, hey, wait a second. I'm here for you. My grace is sufficient. But we don't depend on it. We have limited faith. We sing it so sweet to trust in Jesus, but we don't believe it by the way that we live sometimes. Dwell on the past. Dwell on the possibilities. I wonder if it's possible for me to do it this way. Newsflash to me and to you. God does not always work rationally, and God does not always work logically. Amen? There are times when God just doesn't make sense. I've, have you ever thought that? Or is it just me? Again, have we got any super spiritual people in here or y'all just like me? Amen? God just doesn't make sense sometimes in the way he does things. And you think, sometimes a problem comes against us and we think, Lord, I know the Bible says you don't sleep, but did you nod off while that one got to me? We wonder that sometimes. But God always has a plan. And God always has a purpose in everything in our lives. And nothing takes Him by surprise. And even though it may not make sense to us, we still need to have faith that trusts Him. Limited faith causes us to dwell on the problems. It causes us to dwell on the possibilities. And sometimes that limited faith causes us to dwell on the past. I could just see some, some folks here at the river. Well, we didn't make it last time we was here. What, what makes you think we're going to make it this time? Because they had been there many years earlier, and didn't make it. And now it's time to crawl. And I can just see somebody thinking that. Well, we didn't make it last time. You ever thought that in your Christian life? Maybe sometimes you face the same river several times, the same problem several times, and you think, boy, I sure didn't get victory over this last time I faced it. What does that show? It shows limited faith. And we start thinking, well, I'll tell you what, last time this thing got the best of me. 
I don't know if I can make it this time or not. I like what John R. Rice said, no matter how bad a man's past is, his future is spotless. And we don't have to dwell on the past. We can dwell on God who can help us overcome our past and get through our present. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, I think Paul knew something of this struggle and he said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, I haven't made it yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had some things in his past that could have hindered him too. But Paul chose to forget what was behind him and press forward through the things in the present, through whatever God may have put in his, may have allowed to be in his way. Stories told of a school teacher who presented a problem to his students, and he said it's a very difficult problem, very hard to solve, but it can be done. One student worked for a little while and gave up, and he said, I just, I don't know about this problem. I don't know if it can be done or not. Gave up in despair, saying there's no way. The second one, of the, another student there, the second one had not succeeded, yet he was smiling and unconcerned about the problem. And he said, I know it can be explained because I've seen it done. A third student worked on long after the rest had given up. His head ached and his brain was in a whirl, yet as he went over it again and again, he could be heard saying, I know there is a way because the Master has said it. That's faith. Confidence that rests not upon what it, had, what it has seen, confidence that rests in the promise of God. And God has given us promises, which we'll talk about a little more in detail in just a moment. But God has given us promises to help us through every problem of our lives, through every difficulty of our lives. God has given us the power and the promises that He would help us. And we can go through our problems, we can face our problems with confidence, knowing that the Master has said there is a way. There's little faith and there's limited faith. But let's move on to the third one. And I think the faith that God wants us to have, and that is this. Not little, not limited, but living faith. Faith that is alive. Faith that sees God do something miraculous. Faith that sees God step in when there is no way for anything else to be done and sees God do something that is wonderful and something that is so great that it can only be attributed to Him. Living faith. These are the Christians who don't look for shallow places or swimming places. They look for stepping places. They keep their eyes on the Lord and they trust God to take them over those problems or through those problems or whatever, some way for them to just step through in the mighty power of an almighty God. That's the kind of faith I want to have. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. The kind of faith that is alive. The kind of faith that believes God. The kind of faith that says I'm going to pray till I get an answer. The kind of faith that says I'm going to persevere until God takes me through. That's the kind of faith I want to have. A living faith, a faith that's alive. The devil may tempt Christians with this kind of faith, but they can't see what he's tempting them with because they're not looking at him. They're dwelling on the Lord. They're not looking at the river. They're looking at the ruler. They're not studying how to get across. They're shouting because they know who can get them across. They know that God created the rivers and there's no hesitation at the riverbank. They just keep right on walking, just like the children of Israel did. What's to say the priests had to do? This took some faith. Jordan is overflowed all its banks. Jordan is, uh, the river Jordan is, is, is a mighty river and it's flowing by swiftly. 
the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. Just as, the, just as the Word of God had said they should. They were following orders. They were carrying that Ark. And they had to walk to the riverbank and they had to step out into the river. And the Bible says when the soles of their feet hit the water, that's when God parted it. Here's what we do. We come to a problem. We face it with little faith and we start looking for a way to get across. We may, I, I don't know if that, that looks too deep. I may not be able to make it there. We go running over here and we go trying to find a way. We're spending all our time out on the riverbank. Limited faith causes us to see, well, I can't walk across, but I wonder if I can swim across there. Still depending on our strength, still depending on our power. But what God wants us to do is take a step of faith. God, I'm going to trust you. And you know what God does? When we say, God, I'm going to just lay it all the line for you, God says, that's what I've been waiting on you to do. And God says, and parts the waters. So there's still battles to face ahead. There's still Jericho and Ai and all these other things that they had to face. But this is one problem that God showed them how to get through. Because they stepped out on faith. And when we do that, that's when God proves himself once again to be God. A living faith. The kind of faith that looks for a place to step. A place to just walk across the river and allow God to give you the strength to do it. Here's what living faith causes us to claim. Number one, it causes us to claim a definite promise. A definite promise. In verse 5, the Bible says there, Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord will do wonders. There was a promise. that It was a definite promise that had been given to them. And just like that, we as Christians have a promise from God that says in Psalm 32, verse number 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Faith, trusting God. You know, there's a, there's a couple of miracles that the children of Israel experienced that I would have loved to have been a part of. This is one of them. And, and the Red Sea being parted is another one. I would have loved to be walking through it was like an aquarium without the glass. I mean, it really was. They're walking through on dry ground. There's water all around them, fish swimming just a few inches from their nose. And it's water. They can touch it. They can see it. And God is allowing them to walk right through the problem on dry ground. And that's what God can allow us to do also, to walk through on dry ground. Because he says, surely in the floods of great waters, they'll not come nigh, they'll not come near unto him. Because we trust in God. Not only do we claim a, a definite promise, but we also claim a delivering power. As we've been talking about the whole time, God's power is there to help us. God's power is there to strengthen us. God's power is there to meet our needs and take us across and take us through our problems. Luke 1.37, it says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. But we don't live like that sometimes. We live sometimes like God cannot help us in this situation. Because we spend our time trying to figure out a way to get across with little faith and limited faith instead of letting our faith come alive in a God who is alive and in a God whose power is real. But God has the power to take us across. And then the third thing, 
is a dependable presence. We can claim a definite promise, we can claim a delivering power, and we can claim a dependable presence. Earlier in the book of Joshua, God has assured them that He's going to be with them. And I like what the Bible says in Isaiah 43, verse number 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. That's all we need, isn't it? When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. A dependable presence. Not only has God promised that nothing is impossible, not only has God promised that those floods are not going to come nigh, and His power, like I said, nothing is impossible, but His presence is assured, and He said, I'm with you. What greater assurance do we need than the fact that God is with us in our time of need? Many of you have heard the story of George Mueller, a preacher of years gone by who prayed in over $7.5 million and counted over 50,000 specific answers to prayer in his lifetime. He was going to divinity school to be a Lutheran minister, and his father was paying his way because his father wanted him to be a Lutheran minister. He had one year left, and God called him to be a missionary. He needed his father's signature to change things around and, and, and redirect his studies towards being a missionary. But his father would not sign because he wanted his son to be a minister and earn the good living that the Lutheran ministers were making at that time in, in that area of the world. So George decided to step out on faith and trust God. And one of many stories about the faith of George Mueller, a few days later, one of his professors showed up with a friend of his who needed to be tutored in German. And Mueller knew German, and he explained, but he explained that he would not have time to tutor that semester because he had to work to earn his way. The man assured Mueller that he would pay him for the tutoring, and he named an amount which would take care of one-fourth of Mueller's entire school bill for the year. When George made reference to this, the man said, Good, and the others will take care of the rest. A puzzled look appeared on George Mueller's face, and the fellow explained he had three other friends who needed to be tutored also. George paid his way through school by tutoring these four men. God always has a plan when you step out on faith. A German botanist who was traveling in the country of Turkey saw a rare flower hanging from a, a spot on a cliff that looked very inaccessible. Desirous of possessing it, he first offered 10 pieces of money, then 20, then half a sovereign, and finally one pound to a tempted but hesitating boy near him if he would be slung over with a rope and cut the plant so the botanist could take it. The boy thought for several minutes, and finally a thought came to his mind, and he said, Wait a moment, and I will go for my father to come and hold the rope. Then I will willingly go down and get it. That's the kind of faith you and I need to have. As long as God's holding the rope, we can do anything we need to do on it. One other thought, and I close. If you think about loose things on the deck of a ship, they will be blown or washed overboard when the storm comes, but there's only one way to keep them firm. And that is to last them to something that is fixed, something that's stationary. It's not the bit of rope that gives those things security, but it's the stable thing to which they are lashed. Lash yourself to Christ by faith, and whatever storm or tempest comes, you will be safe, and you can stand firm and immovable.
It's not the rope that causes those things to stay on the board. It's whatever the stable thing is they're tied to. I choose tonight to tie myself to the Lord. He's the stability that's going to help me make it through. What kind of faith do you have tonight? Are you facing a problem? Something going on in your life that just seems to be too big for you to deal with? Been looking at it through the eyes of little faith. Been looking for a way to walk across the easy way out. Maybe you've been looking at it through the eyes of limited faith. and Maybe you've been trying to still figure out a way you can get across. Not necessarily the easy way out, but still trying to do it your way. The kind of faith I want to have is that living faith. That faith that just keeps its eyes on the Lord. And God says, step out. And you step. And God parts the waters for you. What a truth from God's Word about faith. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, once again, thank You for the privilege, Lord, of being a Christian, the privilege of preaching. Father, I pray that You would burn this message into our hearts tonight and help us to have the kind of faith, the living faith, the living faith, the faith that sees You do wonderful things, the faith that George Mueller had as he prayed and trusted you. The faith that men of old have had. The faith that our pastor has in seeing you do a wonderful work here. That kind of faith. Help us, Lord Jesus. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. If you will take your prayer sheets. We'll ask. They're already at the instruments. They're a step ahead of me over here. Of course, we do want to continue to remember Emily Hawkins. Make sure you remember her in prayer. Um, just a quick note, and, and I hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries in saying this, but many of you know her, and it's probably tempted to go home and give her a call and everything. Um, she's real shook up tonight from what I understand. It'd probably be best to not do that tonight. Maybe wait a day or two before you try to contact her. Okay, just don't, let's try not to overwhelm her any more than she already is. Um, from what I understand, she was coming up the entrance ramp or something and an 18-wheeler came over in her lane and sideswiped her, put her in the wall and stuff. So really, um, if you've ever been in an accident, you know how shook up you can be after those things. So just pray for her if you would tonight and tomorrow and give her some time to rest and recover if you would. And again, pray for the Warnick family. Uh, pray for Miss Alma Chadwick and her family. Um, my son has been home sick all week. Tyler, if you remember him in prayer, I'd sure appreciate that. Uh, Missionary of the Week, John Wyatt with Philemon House Ministries, the Jail and Prison Ministries. And then our Church of the Week is Victory Baptist Church in Milton, Florida, Pastor Tim Fleur. He was here last week in the Bible Conference. They have a printing ministry, Victory Baptist Press. So if you would remember that church in prayer. Hospital list, I went by and saw Miss Quim Hudgens today. They've been trying to get her lungs straightened out, had fluid on everything. So uh, continue to remember her in prayer. Um, tomorrow will be a week that she's been in the hospital. She's ready to go home. And so please remember Miss Quim in prayer and also Lois Roberts, um, Regina Berry's mom. Remember them. Continue to pray for our preacher as he's away, that God will just give him rest and refreshment. I told him it's going it's to be a, considering taking into account Bible conference and Brother Victor being here last Sunday, it's going to be about four weeks between his preaching. I told him we're expecting a good sermon, the first one he comes back with. Amen. Um, I've been here long enough I can start kidding around with him like that. <laughs> When I first got here, I was all scared about doing stuff like that. Uh, but anyway, once I started getting around Terry, I realized that's not a problem. So 
Anyway, our, uh, our sympathy to some folks. Of course, Pam King passed away last weekend, and our sympathy to Linda in this time, and uh, they had the, we had the funeral on Monday. And also, John and Betty Green, many of you may not know them, but also many of you that have been here for a little while may uh, remember them. Uh, they were members of our church, and their, their son died unexpectedly this week. And the, it says here the arrangements are pending, but um, just before service, Miss Opal gave me this, uh, this note. The arrangements are at Wilson Funeral Home, and that is tomorrow, visitation from 4 to 9, and then the funeral is going to be at 10 o'clock on Friday. So uh, we'll uh, make sure we uh, take note of that. If you know that family, make sure you go by and are an encouragement to them if you get the chance to do that, all right? Um, let's have an altar of prayer. Let's come down here and let's pray for these folks on our prayer list, and let's also pray that God would help us to have the kind of faith that's living faith, that looks to Him and trusts Him to take care of our needs. Come, if you will, and let's have an altar of prayer. And I'm going to ask Brother Roy Phipps, if you would please take us to the Lord in prayer at this time.
Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Lord willing, we will see you back again on the Lord's Day. Say hello to someone on your way out. Don't just rush off. Have a time of fellowship. Amen. There is a priority because of the warfare. Can I just remind you also, as you look at this portion of Scripture, there's a priority not only because of the warfare, but there is a priority because of the weakness of the flesh. Paul here mentions, look at verse 18, or rather verse 19 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. Holding faith and a good conscience with some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And he mentions Hymenius and Alexander. Is it not without significance that having mentioned these who made shipwreck, Paul says, I therefore exhort you that first of all you pray. Could it be, my friend, that the, the first step of shipwreck for these men was neglect as a place of prayer? Jonah. Jonah, that mighty servant of God, when he was asked in chapter 1 and verse 8 of Jonah by those mariners, what is your occupation? He didn't say, I'm a prophet of God. He said, I am a Hebrew. My friend, there in chapter 1, this mighty man, this mighty man, he even engaged in preaching to the mariners. But there was no... Then... He began to pray. And I'll tell you this, my friend. We need to pray and give it a priority, not only because of the sound of the conflict around us, but oh, be conscious of the weakness of our own flesh. There is a great tendency in our lives not to pray. Do you know what I find the hardest thing about praying is actually getting there? Actually getting there. Bob Jones, senior it was, who said, Priorities are never in conflict. But sometimes they are in our lives. We can find a hundred other things to do before we pray. Isn't it the truth? You get down on your knees to pray and you see that the shelf of your library is untidy. You never put those books back again. So you're back up and put the books away. And then you're about to go down again and you remember there's someone you didn't call my friend, we find that oftentimes, and it happens so subtly, so simply, so easily it happens. Prayer is shunted out of its proper place. Beloved, I say to you this morning, it is the first step to shipwreck. Guard your devotional life. Not only do we need to give prayer a priority because of the war that is around us, because of the weakness that comes to us, but listen, because of the world that needs us. Says the Apostle Paul, we are to pray for all men. Do you know why? Because men are not praying for themselves. Not praying for themselves. My friend, may I just remind you that while we sit here this morning in the warmth of our fellowship and enjoying the Lord's presence here, let's remember that out there the broad road is crowded with the tramp, listen, of Christless feet from the road to a lost perdition. And we need to reach them by the place of prayer. I was glad last night to hear those sisters speak of how they're praying, mother praying with them into the kingdom of God. I remember I was a student in Glasgow and 
We were heading for the Amazon away back in 1963, this was. We're only students, and God challenged my heart. I was only Christian in my home. And the challenge I felt was this. Here we are going to the end of the earth, as it were, to reach the heathen for Christ. And I have a family out of, out of Christ without a Savior. And I began to pray. Target pray. Praying specifically for people. I've been praying, but God burdened our heart, and it was more persistent and more earnest. And in an amazing, sovereign way, the Lord opened for us to return. I was only a boy preacher, return to Northern Ireland to conduct an evangelistic mission. We don't call them revival meetings over there. An evangelistic mission in Newton Breda Baptist Church. God bless in that mission. Souls were saved. Young people were called to the mission field, and many of them are still on the mission field today. So much so that those meetings continued not only through the three weeks, but they extended it into the third week. I remember the last night I was preaching Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, but you're not saved. Thank God there was one man saved that night. It was my daddy. My dad got saved. And I had the joy of leading my father to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this, beloved, there are people out there who need our prayers. Not only in our immediate family and community, if I could tell you of heathen lands where people need our prayers. We need it. Because of the warfare, because of our weakness, because of the world. Listen, because of the world. Can I just remind you that the greatest priority of prayer is not only because of that war and weakness and because of the world and because of the work, but my friend, the greatest compunction and constraint that should be put upon us in the place of prayer is just the word of the Savior. Jesus said, men ought always to pray. Oh, Paul says, if you would be a good minister of Jesus Christ, then mark prayer as a priority in your life. My friend, I tell you this this morning. I have three fingers pointing back at myself, for I'm conscious of my need. Our time is going and gone, but let me just say this. The minister of good Jesus Christ is a good minister by marking prayer as our priority. The minister of Jesus Christ is a good minister by maintaining prayer privately. Thank God for the prayer. Meeting. Thank God for those who come, as Brother Ken reminded us last evening, those who come to pray for us at the church. We thank God for them. But if you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul wrote these words, I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with full conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee, listen to it, in my prayers. Paul was teaching Timothy that not only prayer should be a priority, mark it a priority, but Timothy maintain it privately. Enjoy that personal communion with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, mentioning his name, Didn't you notice reading the gospel how often Jesus withdrew himself into a private place? As a matter of fact, in Mark's gospel, I did that little commentary on Mark. I failed to notice this at the time. I wish I'd, I'd recognized it. But three times it tells us of the places Jesus prayed. First of all, it tells us over there in chapter 1 and verse 35 that Jesus went to a desert place. I don't think that was a sandy desert. I think it was more a deserted place. 
alone again. The thing is, beloved, he needed to get alone with God. Alone with God. And can I just remind you that in our, our own lives, we need to get alone with God. We need those quiet times with our Lord. Listen, we need them because of the burdens that we bear. We need them, I say, because of the business that we conduct. We need them because of the battle that we face. Private times. He went into a deserted place. Not only that, but in chapter 6 and 46 of Mark, you will find that our blessed Lord went into a mountain place. What a solitary place that was. It just simply says, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain. Now this, it wasn't the morning, it was the night time. They had gone into a ship and Jesus had gone to the mountain and in the still coolness of the night he enjoyed communion with his Father. When you get over to chapter 14 and verse 32, you'll find that our blessed Lord who was alone with God in a deserted place and now in the mountain top, now he goes to the garden of Gethsemane. And he leaves some of his disciples and takes three a little further. And they came to the place which is called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here a while while I go yonder and pray. My friend, I tell you this this morning, we all need that. Listen, Isaac, I've noted this. Isaac went out to the field. Jacob went to the brook. Moses went to the hidden clefts of Horeb. They all got alone with God. Murray McShane, that great preacher of Dundee, said these words, much of my prayer time is spent in quietness just preparing to pray. Get away from it all. To be a good minister, we've got to mark prayer as a priority. We've got to maintain prayer privately. My friend, may I just remind you that to be a good minister, we've got to make prayer perpetually. That's what Paul wrote. He said, we are to pray Without ceasing, he said that chapter 2 in verse 3, uh, of Second Timothy, that is. And I don't, I don't have to tell you this morning that prayer is more than just an action. Prayer is an attitude. Prayer, beloved, should be the atmosphere that we adopt. Wasn't it Spurgeon who said, I don't know of a 10-minute period of my life when I wasn't communing in prayer with God? living in the atmosphere of prayer. A preacher back in, in England by the name of Van Doren said these words. He's got a book called Prayer, the Christian's Vital Breath. My friend, I'll tell you this, to walk with God here on earth, we need to breathe the breath of heaven and live in that atmosphere of communion with God. And the Apostle Paul, listen, he led a busy life. As a matter of fact, when I was thinking about this message, I thought the Apostle Paul not only a busy life, but you remember I was speaking there about prayer privately? Did it ever strike you, as it struck me in the preparation of this message, that when the Apostle Paul often spoke of his prayers, he was in a Roman prison, listen, chained to a Roman soldier with three other soldiers around him. I don't think that audibly he stood out and prayed in their presence. But I'll tell you this, in his heart, he was in constant communion with heaven, praying for those Philippians, praying for those Colossians, praying for those Thessalonians, praying for Timothy, praying for Titus. And I'll tell you this, beloved, we need 
to make prayer perpetual. What could I say about making prayer with purity? Oh, our time is gone this morning. I, I learned the secret of this watch. Do you know that they've got a clock up here that's a half an hour fast? I don't know if that's for the... Uh, I know that the others have ignored it, but just let me finish by saying this this morning. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Sure, I shouldn't. No, sorry, sorry. But he, he engages with prayer. What is it it says? Chapter 2 and verse 8. I, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath, without doubting. I have no trouble with people lifting hands but I have people, I have trouble with people who lift hands that are not holy. Hands that are defiled. Paul says, it's not the lifting of the hand. Make sure those hands are holy. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hands, my friend, that are free from defilement. Where there is no anger, that is, no sense of Disharmony. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, said the psalmist. Not only no defilement and no disharmony, but prayers that are free of doubt. Wasn't it Spurgeon that said, I doubt the man who never doubts? Think of that for a moment. But yet, my friend, I tell you this as you get through penetrating the very heavens and feel the atmosphere of God. It refreshes your soul to breathe the pure atmosphere of heaven. We are to minister in prayer with purity. Can I say this finally? The good minister is one who ministers powerfully. How do I notice this? He says, this word I exhort, therefore, that supplications. And we know the sense of that supplication is that sense of begging, the manward side of prayer. And that prayer is the Godward side of prayer. Supplication is mine. But sufficiency belongs to God. And when my need comes to God's great sufficiency, it's great to see how God answers prayer. Intercessions, praying for others and giving of thanks. Listen to it. Be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Do you know something? As a Britisher, it's possible for me to get into Buckingham Palace every day. I've only been there once physically. But many times I'm there by my prayers. My friend, you can get into the White House by praying for your president. You can penetrate the Senate. You can touch the Congress. My friend, can I just remind you this morning that as we pray for all men, listen, we can touch our community, we can reach the continents by the mighty power of prayer. I say to you this morning, God has commissioned us. God has asked us, challenged us to be good ministers of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, believe me, if a church does not pray, it is a dead church. Instead of putting united prayer last, let's put it first. Everything will hinge on the power of prayer in the church. Let us all pray. Teach me to pray, Lord. Teach me to pray. This is my heart cry day unto day. I long to know thy will and thy way. Teach me to pray, Lord.
Teach us to pray. Our Father, we're in your school today. How slow we are to learn. Our Lord, we ask of thee that as you have challenged our hearts this day, help us to go from this place determined that by the grace of God we may put excellence into our ministry in the place of prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.